episode 24. Six arguments against stoicism and our response to these arguments. I'm your co-host, Mateo. I'm your co-host, Ren. And um, like you said, today we're going to be covering the criticism of stoicism, which is kind of going in the opposite direction of some of our recent episodes. But, you know, as people who just especially like to have logical reason, thought out things, research things before we follow them, it's good to acknowledge maybe some of the pitfalls of stoicism, some of the criticisms and address them, address how stoicism answers them or even how stoicism falls short sometimes. Because I think one thing to highlight with stoicism is it's improved both of our lives greatly. We were texting about this the other day, but it's not perfect. No school philosophy is perfect. No way of life is perfect. As we said in previous episodes, perfection is impossible. So therefore stoicism cannot be perfect. And it's important to address these criticisms so that if you're trying to apply stoicism to your life, you're going to know where it falls short or things you may have to think about in terms of applying stoicism. And with that said, um, we so we're going to introduce six problems or six arguments against stoicism one at a time. Uh, we're going to start with probably the most common arguments and then st- we're starting at one. And then our sixth argument will be probably something that's more of a kind of uh, a lesser, a lesser talked about issue. Um, and so it, we're going to introduce each issue and then we're going to have an open discussion around what we would say our responses to these you know arguments or issues and, or concerns. And so that being said, the first one, this is a pretty common issue, and we've talked about this before, but emotional repression with stoicism. And the argument or the the issue with this is, you know, stoicism, that people argue that stoicism itself is arguing for not feeling emotion to be completely cold all the time. And in all fairness, it's certainly um, easy to understand why somebody would think that. It, it's talked about a lot, you know, emotional control, emotional regulation, but our response to this is, well, one, um, stoicism doesn't actually argue against not feeling emotions. As a matter of fact, it, it discusses a lot, especially in meditations, um, how feeling emotions leads you to live a more uh, virtuous life. But the problem is you don't want to let these emotions dictate your next action, dictate your next move on the chessboard. These emotions, it's easy to feel and it's human. It's very human. It's part of nature with stoicism's capital N nature feeling emotion. But as soon as you let your emotions regulate and dictate what your next action is going to be is where it becomes the issue. Right. And this is the one that we've talked about the most, and it's because it's the most common. And I think it's misguided. People who are academics and who are very intelligent, even read stoicism, still kind of describe it as emotional suppression, and it's unhealthy. And I think there's certainly an element of that, especially in kind of ancient stoicism back in, you know, in ancient Rome, ancient Greece. But really what Stoics highlighted, again, we've talked about this a lot, is like pre-emotions versus negative emotions versus positive emotions. And I think when Stoicism acknowledges that there are positive emotions, you cannot argue that Stoicism is against completely any emotional feeling, any feeling of, you know, whether it be joy, hope, or whatever. We've talked about this in previous episodes where you can experience those positive emotions fully, and you can even experience those negative ones. It's just the difference between, like you said, acting out on them and feeling them, right? Uh, you, Somebody cuts you off, you're going to be angry for a second. It's completely natural. It's human to do that. You would be simply robotic if you did not feel any anger throughout the day. You did not feel any sadness throughout your lifetime. It'd be robotic and it wouldn't be a great way to live, right? It would be miserable if you didn't feel any emotions. Mm-hmm. I, and the Stoics highlighted that. It was one of the most common Stoic teachings, right? That life contains emotion it is natural to feel them. 
what we ascribe to as Stoics is that we cannot let them dictate our actions, right? Our logic, our reason is placed on a higher pedestal than our emotions. And that's where I think this is a misguided criticism is that it truly doesn't go into an in-depth look on what Stoicism teaches, right? Um, Seneca argues all the time for logic, for reason, that these two things separate us from animals, but emotions don't. And so if these are the two things that separate us from the animalistic world, right? If they're the two things that make us the most human, they're placed on a pedestal. That doesn't mean you can't feel your emotions. It just means that logic and reason overrules them. And we agree upon, and some people may disagree, but that's on them, that that is the proper way to assess things, that we are logic and reason based. And it's a way better course of action to listen to your logical side, to listen to your inner reasoning, than to listen to the fact that you may be angry at something or you're sad about something. Exactly. And, and feeling the emotion itself, like you said, is a completely natural response, but then it's what comes after that matters. And you said logic and reason is what separates us from the animalistic, you know, behavior. And that's exactly right because an animal will feel an emotion, but have no, you know, identification of what that emotion is. It simply feels we have the ability as, as humans to feel something, identify it, and then choose what, whether our next action is right. And so we talked about this in one of our episodes about you know, the stoic argument for emotional control and whatnot. But Marcus Aurelius, he was talking about how, you know, feeling an emotion is completely normal. But then when you act on an emotion, he was talking about anger specifically, that makes you less of a good man, because a good man is peaceful. And he's, he is kind, he is, you know, he's not frightening to others, right. And, you know, man, that's, this refers to anybody, this can be men, women and whatnot. But the idea of having an emotion so strong and being unable to control it is that's how you present yourself to the world. Whether or not you have the thought of controlling it or not, your next action is going to dictate how the world sees you and how people perceive you. And that your, your reputation is one of the most important things you can have as a person because your reputation always precedes you. So if your name enters rooms that you haven't entered, your reputation is what's going to be there. And you don't want to come across as someone you know who who is uncontrollable emotionally and who can't regulate uh, themselves because then you're also seen as weak from a stoic perspective because people who can't control their emotions are seen as weak simply due to the fact that it's very stoic to be in control of the things you can be and emotions in your own mind is something that stoics heavily just emphasized about conquering all the time you have to conquer your mind in order to conquer the world right mm-hmm. and i think for me this to summarize it is that it's very unhealthy to suppress your emotions to try not to feel at all is very unhealthy. But on the other side of the spectrum, I would argue that it's just as unhealthy to let emotions dictate how you live your life, right? If you constantly get angry, if you get, you know, frustrated or sad over the tiniest thing, the most minor disturbance in your life, you're not going to be able to focus, you're not going to be able to be productive. And it's the same way where if you suppress your emotions, you're not going to be able to function eventually, because they're going to have to come up. And so it's that healthy balance, right? And what is that healthy balance? For us, it's stoicism. It's stoicism where you feel your emotions, so you don't suppress them. So that criticism is squashed, right? But you also don't let them rule your life, so you become a productive person. And so stoicism really hits that middle ground, and I think that it's just a misguided criticism that truly doesn't understand the teachings of stoicism. Absolutely. And, you know, so with with that summary, I think that was a good way to summarize kind of the major points, right? That balance in between both, kind of addressing both critiques and criticisms. Uh, the, the second argument moving up would be uh, the dichotomy of control around stoicism and i guess to sort of you know introduce this idea it's the idea of having that stoics felt absolutely 
no way positive or negative towards what they couldn't control. And there's an argument around that because one of the arguments is that that's completely unrealistic, that there's no way to feel emotionless towards what you can't control. And so I definitely think that's that sort of relates back to the last topic about emotional repression is that it's not that you don't feel one way or another about the, and like you said, there's nothing passive about remaining quote unfazed, right? There's nothing stoically the way we believe it. There's nothing wrong with actually being unfazed, but there's a difference between being emotionally invested in an issue or a problem that like an external factor versus, um, you know, acknowledging it, but not, actually getting too emotionally attached to whatever this external force is right and i think um the part of the argument that i kind of look at is the argument of passivity right where if you don't care about the things and you are emotionless about the things you can't control then you're ultimately going to remain very passive within your life and for me how i tackle this argument is i use an example right and what i argue is that there's a difference between you know becoming emotionally invested and you know becoming emotional about something that's outside of your control and about caring about something that's outside of your control because you can care about something without, you know, getting overly emotional about it and making it affect your state of mind. Right. And so the example I use is you're walking down the street and you see somebody else getting mugged. Now you can't control that situation, right? The mugger decided to mug that person. That person just happened to be there. It's really just um, kind of a victim of fate type of thing. And you're a third party, right? So it's outside of your control, right? And what these people who criticize socialism would say is that, oh, we're emotionless, and so we're just going to walk the other way. It's something that's outside of our control, and so we don't care about it, right? But what we've stressed supremely is that Stoics prioritized virtue, living virtuously. And so that means living ethically, living morally, like living and doing the right thing. And so that means that when you see that mugging, it's something that's outside of your control, yes, but you still care about it because you're going to do the right thing. So you're going to try and intervene. What Stoics are saying is that you don't get angry about it, right? We talked about how Stoicism was introduced into, into Rome, right? When they went to uh, Rome's government, argued for a tax, but they remained calm about it. Yep. Stoics cared about that issue, but they did not get emotional about it. And that is the difference. And that is what this criticism misses, right? Because we, as Stoics, are not going to get angry over something. We're not going to get overly emotional about it. We're going to remain rational, and therefore we're going to have a strong argument. In the situation of the mugging, if you go over angry, you're going to escalate the situation. Or if you, if, or if it's an instance of somebody makes a hateful comment, and you go over and you're angry, right? You flip them off, or you say something that's snarky. You're angry. You're just going to escalate the situation. Versus right. if you truly cared, right, but you didn't get emotional emotional about it then you wouldn't escalate the situation because you would remain calm and you would assess how to end the situation. And so there's a difference between caring and getting really emotionally invested and over-emotional about a situation. And I, that's what stoicism addresses. If we summarize it with that same balance, right? There's a difference and, and there's a difference in between caring and emotionally invested, getting overly emotional about it. And stoicism is that balance because you can care about the important things that maybe aren't outside of your control, but they affect your society whether it's a political issue like Stokes going into Rome and arguing against the tax or when Stokes introduced women into philosophy, which was the first philosophical school to do that. The Stokes were very progressive. They were activists in their time. And so they cared about societal issues, but they always remained calm. And that's what made them stand out. And so if you kind of assess this criticism, you can rise above it, right? 
because you don't get overly emotional about stuff that's outside of your control and you maintain that dichotomy of control, but you can still care about things and do the right thing. And so those important things that passivity becomes activity if you use stoicism properly. And the importance of remaining calm and, and because we know that, you know, rationality and being logistically sound is going to overcome emotional thinking any time of day, any day of the week. And this is why you said Stoics were progressive. And this is exactly why they were able to make it so far is because nobody ever saw a Stoic getting, you know, riled up or agitated during an argument or a debate or a discussion. Simply put, the cal- the person who looks the calmest and simply speaks with reason will win, you know, the debate or the argument or whatever they're trying to push simply because like psychologically, we know that it's it's pretty obvious that in doing so, you you look more confident, you look more professional, simply more informed, like you know what you're talking about. And also on the internal part of it, you're able to think a lot more clearly. It's definitely easy in a debate. And, you know, you can attest to this simply because you're the state champ of speech and debate, right? But it's very easy to become upset during a debate. But there's a big, there's a very fine line between, you know, getting upset and then actually acting on your anger, right? And so, you you know, you use the example, you know, it's there. It turns into activity, uh, activism instead of passive, being passive about it, right? You actually become a lot more, you know, what's the word I'm looking for? Productive. You become a lot more productive as soon as you're able to kind of assess the situation you're in and use that situate the example of being mugged, right? And I think it's very interesting because personally. Whenever I'm in a situation where, or like someone says the last word, right? They flip you off or they, they make a last remark, right? Mm-hmm. This come, the idea of the, the dichotomy of control and really understanding what that means, it comes with a lot of self-awareness and self-reflection. And this is, again, a big part of stoicism, for example, you know, in meditations, that's an entire book of reflection. But the reason that people are able to sort of step back and not try and have the last word or get the last remark in is because they are very aware of the situation and like you said, you know that if you simply can control your actions, then why would you want to escalate a situation or cause more problems simply for your own pride or ego? All of these ideas are stoic ideas. They're, they're stoic ideologies that just relate into every single situation. And as soon as you start to integrate you know, these, this set of morals and values into your life, it's a lot easier to identify you know, what can be stoic and how you can act stoically in the midst of a situation I know for me personally, I mean, especially with anger, I've managed my temper very well over the years, especially, you know, in a time where emotionally we're kind of all over the place, right? Just because of our age and how we're progressing as, as young men and whatnot. But that serves you so well. And and Matt, and this came before even stoicism. I think it should be just be common sense, but having just such an emotional having such high emotional awareness of where you're at in a situation, what can you control? What can't you control? Seeing all the outcomes, right. Of Based off what your next move could be seeing five, five moves in advance on the chessboard is a great example. It serves you so well, simply because you're, you're, you're ahead of people around you. And the goal of stoicism isn't to be superior. And we'll get into that into in, our next topic, but it's simply to be a better person so you can be a better person individually. And I think that's kind of a good. Well, and I think one final note I have in terms of the criticism of the dichotomy of control is that unfortunately there are some things where you have to remain passive, things that you let go, things that are outside of your control. 
that makes you a better and more productive person because those are the things that don't matter. We've talked about, especially um, in last week's episode, how as Stoics, it's really important to ascribe value and assess what things are most valuable. And when you're going throughout your day, the dichotomy of control is an easy way to do that because if it's outside of your control and not something that you truly care about, then it's something that you can let go. And I think people say that, oh, this makes you not human. It makes you robotic. It makes you, um, you know, unfriendly. But ultimately, that's how it has to be because you're going to have to let things go to become a more productive person. Think about we were just in high school. As you go through high school, how many little events happen that maybe aren't sight out or outside of your control, but are things that you could get worried about or you could get you know emotionally invested in and they throw off the entire rest of your day. But those are little things that you forget about tomorrow. And so if you properly use this dichotomy of control, then ultimately you become a more productive person because you're going to forget about the little things, right? You're not going to sweat the small stuff. And I know we said that we we're going to just kind of use our um, reasoning, but there's a really good quote from Seneca that applies to this, where he says that those who appear inactive are the ones who are engaging in far more important activity, right? You may appear inactive to the outside world, but that's because the outside world doesn't truly know you and you're using the dichotomy of control, but you care about those things that are important, right? If you see a mugging, you're going to do the right thing. But if you see, you know, somebody, somebody, or you getting yelled at, you're not going to care about that, right? Because it's something that's outside of your control, but it doesn't matter. It's not important. If somebody gets a little bit angry at you, it doesn't matter. So it's kind of assessing that value using the dichotomy of control properly. And I think that's going to be the common thread we find is that it's definitely hard to apply stoicism. And if you apply it the wrong way, or you don't truly assess what stoics value, then you are going to fall into these pitfalls. These criticisms are going to become true. But if you use them properly, you're going to find that it's more valuable to do this. And yes, you know, I may appear passive at times, or I may give up things that were once important to me, but truly don't matter if I want to get to where I'm going in life. Yes, I may not experience my emotions fully and act on them. That's a way better li- way to live life than how we're currently living it in modern American society. And right. I think, and, yeah. go ahead. No, I was just going to add to your point, like you were talking about modern society and how it's so, so focused on the small things now. The way we live, especially with technology and social media, makes it a lot more normal to focus on the small things that are very insignificant. As soon as you said that, that immediately sparked, you know, examples in my mind. And I can think of all these ideas and and times where this has happened, where there are such small problems that aren't going to matter in five hours or five days, five weeks, whatever. But yet those become the, like the center of our attention for days or for hours. And they completely disrupt your productivity or you know, you're just, just the flow state that you could be in if you were simply pushing away, you know, the little pebbles and focusing on the big rocks that you really need to be moving. Right. And I think um, as we kind of transition to our next point, I think that it's easy to say, okay, so this is the way that I'm living and it makes me better than the next person. And that's the third criticism of stoicism, right? Is that we've talked a lot about how stoicism gives you an advantage and how you have an advantage over other people if you work harder and you're going to get better results, better success. And many people take that to mean that as Stoics, we believe that we're superior. And that's simply not the case. And I think there's a lot of Stoic teachings, especially Seneca, where we say that, yes, we're living better lives, but that doesn't mean that we have to show that off or we have to put that on display for everybody. We have to put other people down. If you think about when Stoicism is truly used, if you think about the Daily Stoic, many podcasts it's all to help people. You know, we don't judge where people are at in their journey. We just try to help them along. And I think, so when people say, okay, so people who are stoic, right, 
they're your traditional like beta males. They're kind of meme worthy and they have this superiority complex where they think that they're better than everybody else. And that's simply not true because not to use ourselves as an example, but many Stoics like us who discover Stoicism, who have thoughts about it, turn it to the outside world and try to apply it to other people's lives so that other people's lives can get better. And I feel like anybody with a superiority complex is going to sit up on their pedestal and be happy with their, where they're at and not care about other people. And instead, we've seen countless times throughout the history of Stoicism and philosophy in general, where people take time out of their lives to improve the lives of others, even if they're living a great life and are living the Stoic values, they take time to teach others because that's what's most valuable. There's a quote from Seneca that says that there's nothing worth value if you don't have somebody else to share it with. And the same concept applies when it comes to virtue, right? If you're living virtuously, it doesn't matter if you don't have anybody to share it with. We have each other to share it with, but it's always better to have a large audience of people who live that way, who live the values that you are living to. And maybe they aren't currently, but if you can help shepherd them along the way, not only do you become better, but you also help so many other people and you feel so much better. And that's one of the things that stoicism taught is that, yes, you can um, become stoic, you can live virtuously, but it doesn't matter if you're not sharing those ideas and teaching other people, being a mentor. And so I argue that you cannot have a superiority complex if that is one of the values that you live towards. Exactly. And having a superiority or a superiority complex, that that isn't stoic. That's not a stoic teaching. I would say if you've ever met someone who, you know, considers themselves stoic and practicing stoicism and has that superiority complex and is doing it in order to be higher than others and to shine brighter, they're doing it for the wrong reasons. That there is nothing in stoicism that that teaches that, right? It's important that stoicism is about you versus you, simply put. I think it's you're trying to be you're constantly evolving from the person you were yesterday. You're not evolving or or, tr- or competing against the people around you. Sure, I mean, there are certainly parts in life where comp- it's purely competition, but in Stoicism, it's about you. It's about the, the internal parts of you that you're trying to develop. It's not about you shining brighter. And there's a quote, I don't even know if this is Stoic, but it says, it goes along the lines of, you know, you don't climb the mountain for the world to see you. You climb the mountain so that you can see the world. You're, we're doing it for ourselves and so if someone claims to be practicing stoicism and then is bragging about oh i'm better than you i I can do this i can do that that's not what stoicism is stoicism as a matter of fact they usually keep to themselves the small victories you know they celebrate but that's never something that they put out to the world you know what i'm saying right and i think one of the things that stoicism kind of edges the line of that is oftentimes we've articulated that you have to put yourself first right whether it's friendships or your family life, you have to put your values first. And that can definitely come off as selfish, right? But it's about the intent. And I'd recommend if you're having trouble with a kind of superiority complex and you think maybe that's what stoicism is about, read letter five of Seneca's letters to a stoic. It's all about this. And it's about how we interact with the mob or how we interact with the crowd, the public, the audience. And I will save reading the whole passage, but there's a few quotes that I think are important to acknowledge in terms of us doing it for ourselves and prioritizing our inner values, but not putting other people down. And the first one, and the most important one is Seneca says that one's life should be a compromise between the ideal morality and the popular public morality. And it's interesting to note that as Stoics who want to ascribe to that, you know, top tier virtue, living virtuously, living all these values, Seneca says that we still have to compromise with what other people believe, with other people's morality. Because you can't be that idealistic person, that perfect person, 
and then interact successfully within the world. It's just not possible. And living that ideal morality means that you close yourself off entirely from the world and you maybe do develop a superiority complex. But again, what he's saying is that you have to go out, you have to interact with people, you have to teach people, you have to make that compromise happen and then elevate the public morality so that that compromise means that everybody is living virtuously, everybody is doing the right thing and you have an ultimately positive society. And I think if we have one of the leaders of Stoicism, one of the three main people, one of the people who just teaches so many people about this school of philosophy, saying that that's the way to go, then the people who have a superiority complex, like you said, are not Stoic. I used the example when we were talking before this episode of a recent Andrew Tate interview with um, Tucker Carlson, which I watched fully. It was a very interesting, very interesting interview. And regardless of your feelings on Andrew Tate, I would recommend that you watch it. But one thing that stuck out to me is he commonly used stoicism, but then with his next thought or next question, it would be something that puts other people down or promotes conspiracy theories. And I think that's what's hurting stoicism right now and why this is a prominent criticism that we're seeing currently is that through social media, through influencers, through people who just discover stoicism and then decide to blindly apply it, that's where we get the superiority complex because we have people who don't truly comprehend or are putting their values first in terms of Andrew Tate's like popularity or getting views or things like that. They're putting that first between the values. They're putting it ahead of the values of stoicism, right? If they put the values of stoicism ahead and truly live stoically and we're teaching those things, then they wouldn't put other people down. They wouldn't put their own needs above the people that they're teaching or about the values of stoicism. They wouldn't do those things. And so we have kind of these false prophets when it comes to stoicism, who on the one hand, nail the idea of stoicism, but on the other hand, then do something completely against the thing that they just said. And so that's not helpful for stoics. And I think that's why we're running into that criticism now. Mm -hmm. And it's why it's, it's easy to tackle in terms of content and reasoning and dismantling it. But it's one that's harder to tackle when it comes to stoicism's place in society currently. When it's also not easy when someone who's in such a high position of influence and, you know, power in the world like Tate does those things because then so many more people see that side of stoicism and then there's a lot more, you know, con he said he does things and then he does something that's completely contradictory to what he just said, right. which is, and it's, it's funny. I mean, we all know like Tate's comments around women, right? I mean, that's completely contradictory to how a stoic would treat anybody mm -hmm. or would talk about anybody. So it's hard to. When and th these reels and these you know these videos whatever are seen worldwide by by millions and millions of people, so there's no there's no you know it's not hard to understand why there's like a negative stigma around stoicism at the moment, but I think that's what we're trying to say is that we're trying to kind of correct I guess and better align the values of Stoics with what it should be, you know we have these people in high positions of power that are completely abusing it in some ways you know I think there's good and bad but when we're addressing that part of it with the superiority complex again i'll reiterate but stoicism it's not about putting others down because you're rising but i think it's important to note too that if you want to practice stoicism and you haven't made much progress any stoic would argue that it's important to develop yourself first before you can start helping people because mm -hmm. if you yourself aren't you know a strong you know confident individual then how could you ever make an impact in the world if you don't believe in yourself there's no reason that someone would believe you if you don't believe in yourself or if you don't practice what you preach. And that exactly, you know, coming back to Tate, that's exactly why no one really agrees or listens to what he says about stoicism because the, the, there's no alignment with what he's practicing and what he's saying. You know, he'll say one thing and in the next sentence, it's completely the opposite, right? 
Right. And you talk about that high position of power, that influence. That's why it's so important to get this message out there, right? Because Tate has, you know, millions of millions of people listening. Him. A lot of them young men who are kind of rounding into themselves, discovering what kind of person they're going to be. And if they mold themselves in the image of I am better than everybody else. And, you know, I'm a cold stoic and I go to the gym. There are parts of that message that are great. And that's where I think the problem with Tate is like the things that he says about stoicism are accurate. They're good things. Go up and get to the gym. Go be productive. You know, don't be yeah. owned by your emotions. Those are good things. But then you can't take the other flip side of it and practice things that go against what you just said, right? You can't put other people down, whether it be women right. or minority groups or people who don't practice stoicism. All you can do is try to help them. And that's what we're trying to do. That's what other stoic podcasts are trying to do. That's what a large number of people are trying to do. I mean, think about David Goggins, right? He's not somebody who per se practices stoicism. But think about all the motivational things that he says. Mm -hmm. They're very positive and they're uplifting and they help many people. Those are the kind of role models that we need to look at, that we need to model ourselves after and that we need to follow. And the unfortunate part is that in our current modern society, if we want to end it like our second point, in current modern society, we prioritize the small stuff, but we also like things that are controversial, that are viral. And so these people in high positions of power know this. They're going to take advantage of that. And so they're going to say things that, Maybe they do agree with them. Maybe they don't. But the end result is that they get clicks. They get views because they're saying controversial things. Right. And that's the problem is that stoicism, if you really think about it, is not that controversial. So it's hard to get off the ground. And so when these people who are in these high power, high places of influence say these things, that's what people believe about stoicism. Not the people who truly put in the work and read stoicism, not the daily stoic, not these true stoic podcasts, because when we sit down and think about it, stoicism is not that controversial. It doesn't put other people down. It doesn't say anything hateful or political or anything right. like that. It's just a way of life. And so that's why we see more attention given to the people who have that superiority complex and who associate that superiority complex with stoicism. And that's why we see this criticism. And that's a good point, you know, about the superiority complex, because I think that kind of puts us into a next, like a really good way, a bridge way into this next idea of you see these people and in positions of like very, very high power, high influence, living this dream life, right? Like Tate, for example, lots of money, lots of cars, materialistic, whatever. But stoicism now, right? It, it, it's sort of the, the next argument. Number four is that it presents an unattainable goal or that, you know, stoicism itself, like the, the goal of having living a perfect life, that's unattainable. And we talked about this before in our episode about per perfection versus progression, Right. And I think my biggest argument to, to sort of counter this issue is that stoicism never actually, if you read in any book of stoicism, it never guarantees a perfect life. There is, there is nothing in stoicism that says, as soon as you start practicing, nothing bad is going to happen. You'll be ready for every situation. You know, you'll be fully in control of your life. There's nothing written in, in any book of, you know, Aurelius, Seneca, Epictetus, whoever that says that. But it's a lot, and I think this relates back to you know people in high positions of authority who live like we really only see on social media who have these like perfect mindsets. We look at them and they're like, how could this person ever have a flaw in the way that they think? That's just what you see on the outside. In reality, there are a lot of you know mistakes that you make along your way in your path of stoicism. There are going to be a lot of you know setbacks, challenges, obstacles, and hardships that you experience. But the purpose of stoicism isn't to live a perfect life. That, that's completely unattainable for any, any way of living virtuously, right? The goal is to be better prepared, to be as good as you can be, 
for these for these goals, right? These things that we're looking at. Right. And Stoics throughout their time talked about how like virtue is the is the ultimate end goal, right? But it's one of the hardest things to obtain. And so I use the analogy, right? If you shoot for the moon, you're going to land among the stars. So if you shoot for the ultimate virtue, which is so incredibly hard to obtain, neither of us have obtained it. Very few people I think ever will. But if you aim for that high goal, it's not perfection, but you'll land somewhere where you are living virtuously. You may have a few flaws here or there, but that means you're just human. And ultimately, like we say, that means you're going to have a great advantage because you're doing the right thing. You're living virtuously. You're living ethically. So when you go home at night, you lay down, you can think and say, you know what? I ultimately am a good person. I'm doing the right things and I'm contributing positively to society. And that's, that's all we can ask as human beings, right? is at the end of the day, we sit down and you say, you know what, I am a net positive to society. I did something good today. And stoicism is an easy way to obtain that. Stoicism is not saying you have to be perfect. It argues against perfectionism. It argues for progression. And progression means you do one positive thing each day and they build on each other. And maybe you do two things, then three. That's right. all stoicism asks for. And so when people say it's an unattainable goal, it's the same people who think and start in the gym, right? To use the gym as an analogy. And they think, okay, I'm going to hit this bench in three months, right? And it's 100 pounds away from when they're benching currently, right? They set the unattainable goal themselves and then are disappointed when they don't get the results, right? You talk about atomic habits. They focus on the outcome versus the system. Stoicism mm -hmm. is a system-based approach, not an outcome-based approach. And so this criticism for me does not even touch stoicism because it's an outcome-based criticism, whereas stoicism is a system-based teaching. So the two are not compatible. And so therefore it's an inadequate and inaccurate criticism because like you said, if you read stoicism at all, you'd realize that these are just teachings that are going to guide me along the way. Well, and you'll, that's exactly right about stoicism being a system based, you know, mindset and, and way of living because it's, it's in the definition. So it's, it's constant evolution. Evolution, there is no outcome. It's just a system. It's always a process. It's never ending. It, it's, it, it's, the, it's in the most simple definition of stoicism is constant evolution, 1% better. You'll, you'll never reach the end of evolution because it's always happening. You know, you'll, you'll stop progressing when you die. That's, that's you practice stoicism until you're dead. And so there's having an unattainable goal of as soon as I become stoic, nothing bad will ever happen to me and I'll be fully prepared for every situation. That's like saying I can get a six pack watching this six pack in five minutes video with right. one thing that I'm done. It's a, it's a complete misdirection of what, what it's actually teaching. Stoicism tells you to embrace struggle, to embrace it and to see it as a lesson or as something that can help you get stronger. And this isn't necessarily stoic related, but I saw, I saw this reel the other day on Instagram where it was like, you know, I asked God for strength and he gave me, you know, hardship. He gave me pain to make me stronger. Or I asked God to make me brave and he gave me things like fears to overcome. That's it's sort of the same way with stoicism. And I don't mean to intertwine the two ideas, but it's kind of the idea of you're, you're not, you're going to ask for knowledge, but then stoicism is going to present to you challenges to overcome, to make you think harder and smarter, right? It's this idea of you, you're going to ask for something, but then you're not just going to get it. There's going to be something that you have to overcome. And stoicism is all about slowly getting better and better so that you, one day you can stand on the things and then you'll have a new challenge. And 
it's easy to sort of not see life that way that you're never making progress when you're constantly comparing yourself to other people. But if you kind of sit down, relax and look at where you used to be, you're in the middle of the things that you used to pray for, that you used to wish for, that you used to ask for, right? Mm-hmm. And that it's all about perspective. And I think once you sort of adopt that mindset, you don't see stoicism as being unattainable or you know, living a perfect life being unattainable because you know that that's not possible. Right. And what I think about is you face two options, right? The people who say that it's an unattainable goal think that because it's very hard. And maybe it's impossible to be the wise man who doesn't react to any hardship with overly being by being overly emotional. Maybe that is impossible, but it's better to live up to that standard than to be okay with being the average person you are now, right? We all have our heroes and we may never live up to be the same level that we have our heroes on, but it's better to aim to be that hero than to be the average Joe you see walking down the street. If we have a bunch of people who are aspiring to be these productive members of society who want to be, you know, a president or a firefighter or a policeman, a bunch of people who want to do things that are good for society, that's great. It's a lot better than a bunch of people saying, you know what, I'd be fine if I just sat on the couch, played video games all day and then slept. I'm fine with that. That's what I want my life to look like. And so it's an extreme example, but that's what stoicism is about. Stoicism is very hard. That's a criticism that is true. It's very hard to live stoically. You're going to go through a lot of things that challenge you stoically. And so it's very hard to even reach your goal within stoicism. So again, you face those two options. Are you going to face the difficulties? Are you going to challenge yourself? Are you going to set that standard and try to live up to it? Are you going to say, oh, that's unobtainable? That's a goal that's just unreachable for any human being. It makes me robotic and it's too hard. And so I'm going to be okay, you know, being emotional and being average and all those things. To me, personally, option one seems a lot better than option two. And I think to many people who have common sense, that's going to be the way it goes, right? You want to be successful. You want to be someone who has a good reputation, who's successful with other people, not only just with yourself, but with other people. And you don't get that way by being overly angry or overly sad or overly average. That's not how you get to a level of success. That's not how you are satisfied with yourself. We got to be satisfied with ourselves first before you improve society. And so people are going to be satisfied with themselves if they're constantly evolving, like you said, if they're constantly progressing, not remaining average. And so that's why I think I stand with this criticism is it's partly true. Yes, the goal of stoicism is unattainable at times, and it's very, very, very hard to do. Only the select few can do it. But I believe that those select few, if you work very hard, can be the select many, right? And so you just face that choice. Are you going to give into this criticism and say, it's too hard, it's too impossible, I'm not going to even try? Or are you going to say, you know what, I'm going to try and see what happens? Because ultimately, stoicism is something where, like you said, it's system-based. So you can have your own standard. You can have your own outcome that you want to get to. And it can be as easy or as hard as you want. And it's going to take hard work along the way but ultimately you'll find yourself more happy and more successful and so that's why i think that whether or not you think that it's a very hard goal the success is worth it and that's what kind of overcomes this criticism absolutely and i think stoicism this this is a good segue into the next um you know argument issue there's a reason that stoicism can seem so unattainable at times and that's because um, we, we kind of talked about this, you know, earlier, but stoicism itself is a label. And if you've watched our previous episodes, you know, we did an episode on labels and how they actually restrict the potential 
of whatever you're labeling of what it could be, or it's restricting the benefits you can gain or how you can see things and whatnot. Stoicism itself actually is a label because the way I, the way we put it was that, you know, Stoicism kind of is a category for all these, this set of values and morals that, that we choose to live by. It's a set, it's one word that describes this way of living. And so I think it's very easy to see. I, I get where people come from when they say, well, stoicism is a label. And so if I'm not doing every single thing that kind of falls into this label category, then I'm not stoic. So that's a, that's a very valid argument to make. But what I would say is that stoicism, it's flexible. And what I mean by that is that you don't have to be a perfect stoic. Again, this kind of goes back to perfection versus progression. There's nothing in stoicism that says if you don't practice every single value or virtue that we preach then you're not a good stoic by quote it's about slowly sort of sort of starting to adopt each individual thing one by one or even if you make a mistake you still move forward you know anybody can be a stoic stoicism was designed the school of philosophy was designed so that anybody could learn it right i mean the early teachers taught people on a porch they taught people you know in the backyard of, of a building just average people off the street. And then those people turned into teachers. So it's not that stoicism can't be taught to anybody. It's that it's the way we look at it, the way we perceive stoicism as a label, as a category that kind of restricts our ability to live by it. Right. And I think for me personally, this is um, the one criticism we're going to go over today that I really struggle with because truly stoicism is a label, right? You get labeled as a stoic and people are going to view you one way. And that's the negative use of the label. But I think we talked about in the label episode, not every label is necessarily bad. And I'll use an example from our latest episode on rejection, where I talked about how you group things throughout your day into three things, right? Like things you need to happen, things you want to happen, and things that would be nice. Those are labels, but they make you more productive, right? Because you're more likely to face rejection well. And so it's within you personally. We've talked about, about how it's how you apply stoicism. It's within you personally to use the stoic label positively. Uh, if you're using it as, oh, I'm stoic, so therefore I can't get really angry over this minor thing, that's great. But if you're using the label as, oh, I'm stoic, so I can't go out and do these things and it restricts your freedom, then yes, it is a, it is a good criticism of stoicism. It's ultimately something that it's up to you, right? It's whether or not you're able to kind of make the label flexible make it so that it makes you productive and is actually a productive label, or it's something that restricts your freedom and restricts your ability to live the rest of your life. Because there's, there's your life outside of stoicism, right? Even us hosting a stoic podcast, I, I can't speak for you, but for me personally, I don't think about stoicism 24 seven. It's not always on my mind. It's not something that I feel restricts my ability to do certain things or anything like that. It's not something where I'm going to go throughout my day. And I'm going to say, Oh, should I eat that? because you know or should i do that because it may reflect me as a stoic i don't do that a hundred percent of the time because it's not a hundred percent of the time necessary it's just again applying it in a way that works for you and i think when we talk about stoicism as a label if stoicism is a label it's a pretty good one because it teaches you a way to behave to live life to the fullest mm -hmm. right and so i use the example with you right if stoicism is kind of a teaching and is a label Christianity is the same thing, right? Because you're labeled as a Christian. And so you have to follow what you have to follow the 10 commandments, but ultimately right. all the 10 commandments just make you a good person. They right. make you a solid citizen. And so if that's the label that you want to apply, stoicism goes hand in hand with somebody who does the right thing. That being your label. Yeah. So it's important to note that labels provide structure, right? Right. 
Yeah. Well, and, you know, stoicism as a label means you're labeled as a good citizen. Stoicism as a label means you're labeled as a productive member of society. You're labeled as good things, things that make people want to interact with you, give you the benefit of the doubt, give you a second chance if you need one, help you off your feet if you fell down, all of the above. And so I think if you want to look at stoicism as a label negatively, then you're looking at stoicism the wrong way because it doesn't restrict your freedom. You don't have to think about stoicism 100% of the time. You have to think about it when you face hardship. You have to think about it when things get tough so that you handle that adversity properly. So stoicism as a sometimes label that makes you productive and makes you labeled as good things, gives you structure. I feel like there's no better label you can apply. And so if we're working on labels, you go back to that episode and you're trying to work on labels. There's a lot worse things that somebody could label you as than a stoic. And so I think if you're going to label, if you're going to worry about the label, then you're worrying about the wrong things. I agree. And you made a point about, you know, we, we try it. We, we focus on stoicism in times of hardship, but also I think it's important to point out that, you know, personally, and I think I can speak for both of us here that we, we treat everyone that we encounter with respect and we, we are kind and we try to be, you know, professional and nice and outgoing and welcoming that is stoic, but we don't think that we're being stoic in the moment. It's not, it's not on my mind. Oh, I'm going to treat this person nice because of, because I'm stoic. I'm treating this person nice because it's the right thing to do or in its habit at this point, we just go around treating people with respect all the time. That that's what living stoically is, is where you're not thinking about it all the time, but your habits become a reflection of what you practice when you are focused on stoicism. And also like, even in the midst of a hardship, I don't necessarily all the time when I'm faced with a difficulty or with a challenge, I don't always think what would Marcus Aurelius do in this situation? Would he, you know, he just, Marcus Aurelius failed a bench PR. Like, what is he going to do? Is he going to cry? Like, I don't think about that, but it's habit now because we, I, we've been reading stoicism. We've been researching it. We've been talking about it for, you know, what is it? Seven months now, probably this podcast has been going for seven months that it's a habit now to act righteously and virtuously. That's what stoicism is about. The label itself, like someone would describe that as being stoic, but it's not so complicated to where you have to think about it every single time because the longer you practice it, the more it becomes habit and the more it becomes your second nature to just do something that can be labeled as stoic. And you said there are way worse things to be labeled as than a stoic. There's nothing about stoicism in my eyes that when you truly read it and understand it, there's nothing negative about stoicism. Stoicism is all about bettering yourself and making the people around you happier and more like just better people. I I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And again, that's subjective, I suppose, but in our eyes, you know, being labeled as a stoic, there's nothing wrong with that because what stoicism comes with and, you know, virtue, honesty, integrity, kindness, respect, those are all things that become a part of your life that you don't actually have to think about the more you practice them. Stoicism is mostly just a set of guidelines, but because they can be unique to everybody, everybody can use those guidelines in their own way. They're not actually that restricting. They're simply there for structure. And we've talked about it. That's why labels are important at times because you need structure. You need some form of, you know, structuralized way of living that allows you to be a better person. Labels, as soon as they become restrictive, however, is when it's bad. And it, like you said, it's restrictive when, you know, you're thinking about it a hundred percent of the day and you're not allowing yourself to just be human. That's when it becomes a problem, but that's not what stoicism is about. Right. And I think, you know, that's kind of the end goal. And it's funny you say, you know, kindness, being nice to a person, being respectful, 
Stoicism goes just hand in hand with being a good person. And I think everybody wants to be a good person. You don't want to be known as somebody who's a jerk, somebody who's rude, because that person is not well-liked. And we talk about reputation earlier, you're going to have a negative reputation. So if you're somebody who says, oh, I don't want to be a good person, then fine, you're going to be have a problem with being labeled a Stoic. But if someone just wants to live as a good person, you're going to find that those values align and go hand in hand with Stoicism. And so that's the label. But that's the end goal. And I think if we return to kind of where you start with Stoicism, we're going to find our last criticism, which is one that's kind of the toughest to answer and kind of rebuke. And that's Stoicism's kind of inflexibility and not accounting for your environment, for your starting point, for um, even genetic factors. And, you know, we've talked about mental health in our mental health episode. Uh, there are certainly people with mental health issues where it's really through no fault of their own. It's just simply genetics. It's brain chemistry. It's things that they can't fix without medicine. And obviously stoicism was back, you know, during year zero. It's, it's ancient history. So they didn't have that knowledge. They didn't have that kind of medical background, even up until, you know, just modern stoicism has that kind of background. And even with the genetic society, you know, statistics about home life, domestic violence, like all of those things abuse rates again it was happening in ancient rome but they didn't have statistics on it they didn't have knowledge about it and so those kind of influences those social influences are not present in a lot of stoic teachings and you know it's through no fault of these stoic teachers because they didn't have the numbers they didn't have the research they didn't have the knowledge because it wasn't available to anybody back then but that's the problem is that if you just read stoicism at face value it's not going to be there and so it's not going to work for you because it's not going to take into account whether you have maybe not so good a home life you know, maybe you're genetically predisposed to depression or anxiety or an illness or something, or, you know, you're living in poverty and you don't know where your next meal is going to come from. It doesn't take into account those factors. And so we could say, you know, oh, but it says face those hardships with no emotion. But if we're talking about the starting point, that's not a realistic thing to say to somebody that doesn't right. work. And so that's where I think stoicism, if you want to find a pitfall, that's where it is, is that starting point and not accounting really accurately for your environment well i think you're exactly right because it's very hard to you know tell someone with a genetic predisposition or you know something that they're born with like an illness or something that is you know unhelpful it's very hard to tell them well just be stoic just just accept it embrace it it's like you can't you can't tell someone with depression like oh this is going to make you happier if you just change your mind like that that yeah. doesn't but I think it's also important to note that there are a lot of cases now today that we can safely say, and this may be a little controversial, but in my eyes, from what we know with our peers and you know what some of the statistics say, that a, a healthier mind and healthier lifestyle can, as a matter of fact, change these things. But that's not speaking for the the smaller, you know, the more minority group of people that actually really do have these predispositions medically, you know, genetically that need medication. We would say, we talked about this earlier that stoicism probably would argue against medita medication, right. right? We kind of talked about that simply just because stoicism is all about everything that you face is in your mind and there's a problem, just conquer your mind and you'll be fine. But we know that today that isn't the case. So it's, it is safe to say that that is, is kind of a shortcoming with stoicism is that, but it's important to note that if you view it from the perspective of this won't necessarily apply to this area because of whatever the case is, then that's fine. I would say though, with stoicism, there is at least one aspect of stoicism that can be applied anywhere, regardless of your, you know, your environment, your genetic predisposition. And that can look different for everyone, right? I mean, 
certain areas can be applied to certain areas of life. But it is important to acknowledge that because I've had a lot of people tell me, you know, well, I have this or I have this. And it's it's hard. Stoicism isn't a one all be all for every single issue. I think it's important to note, and that kind of goes back to the unattainable goal, right? It's not perfect. Stoicism isn't perfect and it wasn't meant to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's great that you returned to that because that was going to be my point is that stoicism is not perfect. It's not something where, okay, this happened in my life. I can go to this section of meditations. I can go to this section of discourses. I can go here and it has the solution, quick fix. There's no quick fix with anything when it comes to stoicism, first of all. And sometimes there's no solution found in stoicism. The solution comes from your own accord, right? You know you best. So some writer from 2000 years ago is not going to know your situation and know how to handle it better than you are. And I think that's that's all that has to be said is that there's going to be some times where stoicism doesn't apply. doesn't mean you're not stoic. doesn't mean that the school stoicism is bad. It just means that, okay, these people who, you know, wrote 2000 years ago or, you know, even in modern times, they don't have the perspective I do on the situation, you know? These authors didn't have a bad home life, but I do. And I know how to handle that better than they do. That's true, right? You have the value of perspective. You have the value of experience. And there's nothing wrong with that from your end. And there's nothing wrong with that from the stoic end. All that we're saying is that eventually, if you are are stoic and are trying to live those values, you're eventually going to return to them, right? Because you're not going to go through an entire month period where it's never going to apply. That's just, I mean, it's, that's not true, but there may be a day where it doesn't. There may be a couple hours where it doesn't, there may be a situation that lasts a little bit longer that it doesn't apply. Okay. That's fine. Find your healthy coping strategy, find a way to get through it because ultimately that is stoic. If you find, I was was literally about to say that itself is stoicism. If you find a way to get through it. Okay. Maybe it didn't align with this stoic value, but you got through it and nothing bad happened to you or, you know, had no lasting effects. That's stoic. Yeah. I would, that no, that's a great point. Like, if you if stoicism doesn't align, but you're doing the best you can, that's stoic. That that is stoic. Is doing the best you can, using the resources you have to make a better life for yourself. That is exactly what stoicism is about, man. Like that's precisely precisely yes. about. And so I think as we kind of wrap up the episode, it's it's gone a little bit longer than most of our episodes, but it's been it's been really good content. I think the common theme that you'll see throughout all of these criticisms is a if you truly read and think about not just in terms of what the text says but how it applies to the modern world if you do that to stoicism a lot of these criticisms won't hold any water they won't hold any weight in your mind the second one is that many of these criticisms come from not applying stoicism properly we just talked about in your environment and you knowing best it applies for pretty much each of these criticisms is you know how to apply stoicism best to your life to your situation so do it and then these criticisms either won't be as severe won't be as applicable or they won't happen at all We've talked about the economy of control, emotional suppression. If you know when to feel your emotions more and when to feel your emotions less, when you know when to care about something that's outside of your control, but not get overly emotional about it versus when to be passive. If you know these things, then these criticisms won't apply at all. And that takes time and it's hard. We talked about the unattainable goal. It's very hard to learn how to do that properly. But ultimately you have this podcast, not to brag, but we do a pretty good job in terms of giving advice. Uh, we've been through a lot and so we're always open and then you have a litany of other stoic podcasts a little litany of other stoic influencers people who do motivation who have the same exact advice and who may be able to help you out if it gets hard if the going gets rough and then my third and final common thread throughout it is that stoicism is not perfect 
no school philosophy is perfect. No way of thinking is perfect. There is nothing perfect about the human condition. So therefore you cannot argue that stoicism or any school philosophy is perfect, right? And yep. so you have to acknowledge that. We even acknowledge that. There are shortcomings within stoicism, one of them being that environmental factor. Mm-hmm. So acknowledge those shortcomings just as much as you acknowledge the greatness and the progress that stoicism brings in your life. And when you do that, you use stoicism properly and stoicism becomes a beautiful thing. And so that's my three common threads. I'll let you, Mateo, um, give your common threads. But as you go throughout this episode, keep those common threads in mind and just think about how, while yes, you can be applying stoicism by reading the teachings and thinking about how to apply it. Think about also the shortcomings, just as you do anything else in your life. Think about where it falls short and how to correct those shortcomings with your own knowledge or your own situation, your own experience. Well, and you basically, I mean, touched on everything that I was going to say, but I think kind of to build off your point is it's important to question everything that you read or that you consume because just blindly accepting what you're told, you know, some philosopher thousands of years ago told me this. So it must be true because they're great and everyone loves them. You shouldn't, shouldn't do that because that's, if you're just blindly accepting what you're told, then you're never actually going to understand it deeply. And I think that's kind of where a lot of these, you know, issues or arguments against stoicism sort of come from is that you see it one way, but then you don't actually really dwell or like delve in deep into what you're looking at. Right. It's very important to always question what you're being told. And there's no problem with asking these questions or addressing these issues that that come with stoicism. So everything you said is absolutely right. Um, I would just say question what you read and really research it, really try to understand it. So. I think, uh, you know, we've gone over the criticisms. We've kind of really addressed some concerns that people may in our audience have about stoicism. And so this has been episode 24. We're going to have some big announcements coming Um, on RSS. You can see that we're on season one. Season two is coming. It's going to come with college and we're going to see a lot of changes, a lot of marketing changes, a lot of brand changes. It's going to be an exciting time. So if you listen this far, Thank you for listening. Be on the lookout for some major announcements, some major changes coming up. And I've been your co-host, Ren. I'm your co-host, Mateo. Thank you for listening.